0: Would you please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 9? I want to talk today about the topic of the trustworthiness of God. The Apostle Paul, as he writes the book of Romans, is going to give us a wonderful illustration of just how worthy God is to be trusted. He doesn't pick an easy topic or something that's light. He actually goes to something that can be tricky and difficult. He's going to take on something that might cause people to wonder if God is trustworthy, if God keeps His promises. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. I think that the devil from the beginning wanted to get man to not count on God as being trustworthy. Satan has wanted all the way back In the beginning from Genesis chapter 3, he has wanted to get us to doubt the credibility of our God. Can you remember that conversation that he had back in Genesis 3 with Eve? Do you remember what the idea of that conversation was? The devil came to Eve. And he really asked a question. He says, has God really said? Did God really say this? He goes on to answer that question. He says, God didn't really mean this. God's keeping something from you. You can't trust what God has said. When we look at that illustration, I don't think that the devil has gone very far from that today. I think he wants you and I to doubt the credibility of our God. I want to start with a scenario for you to imagine. It's uh, based out of Matthew chapter 20, but we're going to make it a little more modern for our purposes today. In every metropolis, there is what is known as a labor pool. This is a place where people will go and and will wait um, through the day for someone to come by and hire them for work. I want you to imagine that there is a rich farmer who needs some help on his farm. So he gets in the truck, drives down to where these folks in the labor pool are waiting. And at 9 a.m. in the morning, he says, Hey, I need need about five guys to help me out on the farm today. And so five guys jump in. Now before they take off to head to the farm, he tells them what he's going to pay them. He said, I'm going to let you guys know what I'm going to pay you for this work. I'm going to pay you $100. Well, that seemed like a pretty good deal to those guys. They needed the work. And so off they went to the farm. A few hours later, at the noon hour, the farmer realized that he needed some more workers. And so he goes out to that labor force and asks about five guys, hey, I need about five guys to come and help me out on my farm. He picks them up, doesn't tell them what he's going to pay them. And he takes them to the farm and they begin to work. And then about three o'clock, so six hours after the first guy started, he wants some more workers. Goes down to that group of guys. Hey, I need about five guys to help me out. Same answer. They jump in the truck and they go down and start working at 3 o'clock. One more time, this guy needs some help. He goes down to the labor, to the labor pool and at 5 p.m., he says, I need about five guys to help me out. They go down and they join the rest of them as they work. Now, the work day ended that day at 7 p.m. And all the guys line up to get their pay. And as they're lined up, the last guys that came in at 5 p.m., they were first in line. And so imagine the surprise of the guys who were paying attention to what they got paid when those first guys, who had only worked for two hours, got 100 bucks each. Well, that's 50 bucks an hour. Well, very quickly, imagine that the word spreads down the line going all the way back. And those guys that were first, they hear that they got 100 bucks for only two hours of work. And they start to do the math in their head, and they said, I wonder what we're going to get. Maybe 400 maybe $500. That's what we're probably going to get. And then one group after another, the three, the 3 o'clock group, the 12 o'clock group, and then the 9 o'clock group, they all go through the line in that order. And every one of them, receives the same $100 pay. Well, the guys that had been working all day were furious. They were so bothered by this. That's just not right. You can't do that. We worked five times more than those others, and you gave them the exact same pay as us. As that parable goes in Matthew chapter 20, the response of the one who hired the laborers is this. I have been just with you in what I have given you. And it is not your place to tell me to whom I may show generosity and to whom I may not show generosity. Chew on that story just for a minute. You see, when we think of that story, and it's recorded in God's word for us in in different words, Maybe you, like me, look at it and say, that doesn't quite seem fair. It doesn't quite seem fair that those folks who worked all day got paid the same as those folks that worked just for a short time. And what we'll see in God's Word today is that He always keeps His promises. And beautifully, as we learn of our God in walking with Him through this life, we learn that God is just And God is generous at the same time. Beautifully, the Apostle Paul walks us through this. And we're starting a new section in the book of Romans today. We've just finished up Romans chapter 8. Boy, was I glad for Romans chapter 8. I still am glad for it. But now we're going to start a new section, chapters 9, 10, and 11. Now, for those of you who who haven't been part of this whole series in Romans, I want to remind you that there was a reason why Paul wrote this letter, in my opinion. I think that Paul wrote this letter to the believers in Rome because of a division that had taken place in the church. There was a divide between the carnivores and the herbivores, or the Jews and the Gentiles. Some were meat eaters and some were not, and they were arguing about this. It was having an impact on the way that they would be able to reach their world. And so I think when Paul addresses them, he wants very much so to bring these two groups together. Well, I think after they studied this letter that Paul wrote to them, and for you and I today, what we will see in our time in God's Word today is that we can have 100% confidence that God always keeps his promises. It's not an easy road to go down, the illustration that he uses. Even some of the phrases that he says causes even the most um, experienced Bible student to scratch his head and wonder what did God mean when he said that? So to illustrate this idea of pulling them together and none of them are better than the other, what Paul's going to do is Paul's going to take them through the gospel plan from the perspective of the nation of Israel. When we look at Israel, this was something that would divide them back in their day. We need to constantly, when we're walking through this world and when we face challenges from people who would make us maybe doubt our God or doubt God's word, we need to remember what it says in Numbers twenty-three nineteen, where it says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of a man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it. And this topic that he's going to jump into here, the topic of the Jews and the Gentiles, this was very hard for these believers in this church. And Paul is going to bring some unity to that local church family. Now, I think that this is a topic that's hard for us as well. Because if you're a student of the Bible You've read through what it says in the Old Testament. There were lots of promises that were given to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob, even David. If you read through David's writings, there were promises given to these. And we might see those promises that were given to God's people, the Jewish people. And we might not understand how that plays out today. This was tough for them, and this can be a dividing point for us today. And so, let me ask that question. What part does the nation of Israel play today? What part do they play in the church or in grace? Are they just some stories from the Old Testament that we read that kind of gets us to where we are today? Well, Paul's going to take this on. And here's why it is such an important issue for them an important issue for us. Because if God did not keep His promise to the Jews, what might you and I conclude today? That He won't keep His promises to us, right? It's a very important issue. He takes it head on. Now let me give you... A little, bit, a little bit of explanation as to where we're going. Um, we're going to cover chapters 9, 10, and 11 in four sermons is how I'm going to do it. And today is just going to be a preview of all three of those chapters. So we will get into more detail. I would challenge you to read ahead. You'll see some of these challenging scriptures that will approach. But read ahead. Next week we'll cover Romans chapter 9 in detail. But we're going to, if you've been on the plane before, you recognize the expression 30,000 feet, right? We're going to take a 30,000 foot view of Romans 9, 10, and 11. And hopefully it's going to bring us to a place where we will trust our God even more after seeing what he wrote to them. Now, there's a cycle going on. The Apostle Paul is going to start with the bad news and he's going to work his way through the good news. If you're there in Romans chapter 9, the first thing that I see here that God God wants us to see from this chapter is that God's gospel plan is consistent with the past. God's plan, when He points to anything that He's ever written or anything that He has ever said, is consistent with the past. And what we find in Romans chapter 9 is that people... The people of God have always been a result of God electing them to be his people. This issue of election is one that will split some groups, get people arguing, and dividing. It's a good issue for you to study through. And it's very interesting how Paul lays it out. And we see some beautiful encouragement in the next chapter when it comes to this issue. But in chapter 9, we find an overall theme of God's sovereign choice. Look at verse number six. Part of it there says, Not all descended from Israel belong to Israel. That might come off as confusing. Not all descended from Israel belong to Israel. What's he getting at? In the past, God chose his people not by their heritage and not by their works or merit. God chose those that would be his people. As a result of his mercy. That's how he chose them. And it's the exact same way that he chooses people today. Look at verses 14 and 15 in Romans 9. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have mercy. Compassion. Those are difficult scriptures for us to work on. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, says the Lord. And it is, thus saith the Lord. And so what might our response be when we read that? Same response to that parable about the workers and the one who hired them. That's not fair. As I read that, it just seems... That this isn't fair. God chooses some and doesn't choose others? Let me share with you that I agree with the idea that that doesn't sound fair. But let me go ahead and share with you my thoughts on the idea of fairness. Because I would express to you today how thankful I am that God does not treat me With fairness. If you were treated in a fair way, because of your sin, you would be separated forever in a place called hell. And yet, we can experience forgiveness. That's not fair. And boy, am I glad that God is not fair. When we think of things that are fair, think of God the Father and God the Son. Was it fair that God the Son had to leave a beautiful, perfect heaven and come down to this world that had been corrupted by sin? And was it fair that perfect Jesus Christ was killed on a cross even though He did nothing wrong? That was not fair. And yet the Bible says it pleased the Father for Him to bruise the Son. That's not fairness, that's love. That's mercy being shown to you and to me. There are so many things in this world that are not fair. And usually we don't get too bothered about it. When you think of a present, a gift, a gift isn't always fair. It's really not. Now, I've got a gift here. I wanted to go ahead and get some feedback from the audience. How many of you enjoy receiving a gift? Raise your hand. If you enjoy receiving a gift, raise your hand. Hold it up there. All right. Okay, hold them up there a little bit longer. Okay, very good. You enjoy the gift. All right, okay. Most folks do enjoy receiving a gift. There's no doubt about that. A lot of you like that. I'm going to give this gift to somebody here. Let me see. I see you waving your hand back there. And so, all right. Uh, All right. Front row, don't say there's no benefits. There you go. That's a gift for you. You can open it later on. You're going to like what's in there. You might not open it around your your, your siblings. They might, they might cause you some problems. And so, all right. Congratulations to you. Now, some of you are smiling. Some of you are happy that, that Aaron received a gift on this day. Is anybody here angry or bothered that they didn't get the gift? Anybody? Good good job not raising your hand. That would, that would not. That's the wrong answer. You see if I want to give a gift, it really isn't fair. It's not fair that I would give this to one person but not give it to everybody else. When we look at our God and when we study the character of our God, we learn that He is always right and that God is just. The fact that God is just is what sent His Son to the cross for us. And we also see about God that He is loving and He is generous. He is just and He is generous at the same time. And we have no right to tell the Master, the Maker of us all, who He can and who He cannot be generous to. That is not our place. And so when some people people will say, God is not fair, you can agree with them. Yes, God is not fair. And so in chapter 9, in God's plan for the gospel, God's love was never a result of works, ethnicity. It was always a result of his mercy. Same way he works today. Next in chapter 10, we see here that God's gospel plan is consistent in the present. In chapter 9, it was consistent in the past And now Paul's going to tell them how it's consistent in the present. Now let me tell you the present state for the Jews when this was written. We understand that when the church began, it was all Jews all the time. Those were the ones that received first uh, the gospel. And when the church started. And then, many of you, if you were here for our study in the book of Acts, you'll remember when Peter was told to go and preach to and talk to a man named Cornelius, who was among the first of the Gentiles. So, it was all Jews, and then it was Jews and some Gentiles, and now at this point, it has shifted. And we are going to find more Gentiles that are followers of Jesus Christ than Jews in the church. So what is God's take on the Jewish people in the present? Well, we'll read the first five verses of Romans 10. Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeing to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, as I have had opportunity to study through this and look at all three of these, I'm very familiar that there are some sensitive topics that come up in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. Topics that get fought over, like election, being called. Perhaps some of you have heard the debate between people that are Calvinist or Arminian. There are many things that are debated here. And I love, I stand and marvel at what Paul does. Because even though we have topics like election and God chose and God can choose whoever he wants, we have that clearly stated here. Right in the middle of these verses, when we have these difficult topics, the Apostle Paul gives us what are likely the most common verses that are used to tell someone that they can choose to come to Christ. Many of you who are familiar with the Romans Road, you'll recognize these verses here. Look in chapter 10 at verse 9, where it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. This the pure brilliance of the Apostle Paul. That he drops this very divisive issue. And then right next to it he puts in there anybody who wants to can come to Christ. And you can spend your whole life and you won't be able to fully understand some of these things no doubt. And when we look at the Jews in their present state, when Paul writes this, they are included in Romans 10.13. What's 10.13 say right there? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what is God's plan for them in the present? It is that they would call upon Jesus Christ. To save them and forgive them. In God's gospel plan, love was made available both to the Jew and to the Gentile. Let's go ahead and look over at chapter 11 in this preview. What I see in chapter 11 is God's gospel plan is consistent in the future. God's gospel plan is consistent in the future. God is trustworthy, He has never made a promise that He has not kept. And even as we examine the Jewish people back in Paul's day and in our day, we have a confidence that he will do what he has said he will do. Chapter 11 makes it clear that the Jews, even though in Paul's day and especially in our day, are a very, very small percentage of followers of Jesus Christ. He makes it clear in Romans 11 that there is coming a day... When Israel will again be central in God's gospel plan. God will keep his promises in the gospel in the future for Israel. I'm going to read verses 17 and 18 of Romans 11. And there's there's a a picture that's going on here. Uh, Some of the Gentiles and some of the Jews and they're being grafted together, grafted in. Look at verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Neither group can look down upon the other. And the vast majority of us here and listening today are Gentiles. And in God's mercy, He has made a way for us to come and be part of His people. And so in chapter 11, what we'll see is that the hardening of Israel is not total. And the hardening of Israel is not final. And so... In this overview, chapter 9, God in Israel's past chose his people based on his mercy. And that's the same way that he chooses people today. In chapter 10, God in Israel's present accepts any person, Jew or Gentile, who will, by faith, receive Christ as their Savior. And then in chapter 11, God in Israel's future will bring Israel again to the forefront of His story. All right, what do we do with this? Well, first of all, trust in God's plan, especially when His ways are different than yours. It's easy to trust when He's doing everything we like Him to do, right? Good one, God. I saw that, God. That's a good one. That's easy. Trust the Lord, especially when you're confused. When you scratch your head. When you come to a part in God's Word and you can't quite understand it, or you're doing everything that you possibly can and you still are in a state of confusion as you follow Him. Trust Him in the difficult times. Understand that He has always kept His Word and He will always keep His Word. And then, if you, like me, are a Gentile, you need to rejoice in response to the mercy you've received. An incredible plan that started back in Genesis chapter 3 when God said he was going to send someone to crush the head of the serpent and it was Jesus Christ. And he used the Jewish people and he's given us a record of all of it. And he has brought us to a place today where anyone in this world can be received into the family of God. And so the very last verse in this trilogy... Of the children of Israel says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So let me close by asking you a question Did God keep his promises to the children of Israel? Yes or no? Yes, he did. Let me ask one more question. Will God Keep every promise that he has made to me and to you. And the answer is yes. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, when we come to you, it's with this beautiful understanding that you looked upon us and showed us love. We thank you for that incredible demonstration of love. Jesus Christ going to the cross and dying for our sins. And we thank you that so many here have that testimony of one day they realized they were a sinner, realized they needed to turn to you and ask for forgiveness. And that verse, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As simple as that. And we praise you for the price that you paid for us to have eternity with you, fellowship with you. And we thank you, God, that you've always kept your promises. Keep our eyes fixed on your character, that you never change, that you are dependable. Help us to understand that the devil is going to sneak up and try to get us to doubt you in your goodness and your dependability. And to be firm in knowing that you always keep your promises. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask the piano to play through, and I want to give you a chance to pray. I'll give you a couple topics that you might choose to pray for. The first one could be that you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never called upon Him to forgive you of your sins and given your life over to Him. Even in the quietness of this moment, if you understand that Christ died on the cross for your sins and you can ask for forgiveness, He will answer that prayer and make you His son or His daughter. You can pray that even now. It could be that you're hearing this today and there is something confusing going on. You know that God is there. You know Jesus Christ. And you have no answers for why what is happening is happening in your life. Built upon this truth that God is trustworthy, would you just take a moment and talk to God about what you're going through right now?